going back to getting married in India. He's not religious. That's not his way, but he knows how important it is to his mother. And so doing that was important to me. Welcome to Big Little Choices. I'm Shri and this show is about the amazing women and moms that all of us are surrounded with. Each episode will feature a woman that I admire and someone who has made a bold and unconventional choice because it's what's best for her and her family. This show is also about building community so you can hear stories that make you feel inspired and empowered to make choices that are right for you. I hope you enjoy the show. My grandmother gave me one piece of advice when I got married. that even siblings who grew up with the same set of parents can be remarkably unlike each other so expect your spouse to be very different from you while you may have the same value system and opinions on some fundamental beliefs chances are you are more different than you are alike and every time my husband and i disagree on something i'm reminded of that piece of advice i often wonder how couples who have an intercultural or an interreligious marriage must be with so many differences in how they were raised and what experiences they had In today's episode we talk to Sharon and her story on being Jewish and marrying an Indian man. There's so many pieces to a marriage like this. Food, traditions, how you raise your kids, gender expectations and so much more. Sharon grew up in a family where her parents took on very traditional roles. Her father went to work while her mother stayed at home and raised the kids. And this influenced Sharon's own choices of how she saw herself as a mom and as a wife. I grew up thinking that my my mom wasn't going to work and i needed to be able to either take on that role or push for myself since they had very traditional roles i didn't feel like being a stay at home mom or a stay at home wife was something i wanted for myself so um i worked really hard in college and made sure that i went to grad school and had the opportunity to have a career so as i take on the role as a wife or as a mother I made sure that I have that work life balance. So, um I was very inspired by my dad. My dad, he was someone that was very hard working but gentle in his parenting. And he never showed disappointment. Whereas my mom on the other hand, she didn't have that same lovely gentle parenting. and her approach was to make sure that i was raised very jewish and so that was defined with going to hebrew school going to sunday school and that was for a majority of my upbringing and to have a bat mitzvah so i got exposed to a lot of great jewish customs and the culture but i felt like it was pushed on me and i was very resistant So by the time I was 18 and I had the opportunity to choose for myself if that's something I wanted to seek out for myself, then I passed, but I did keep some of the great parts of the culture that made me feel really connected to others without having that religious um meaning behind it. So I might be one of those Jews that has Hanukkah every year, which is great because a lot of my friends consider me the go-to Jew to have Hanukkah. Um, they know I have latke parties, and that to me feels like it's special. So let's fast forward to when Sharon was ready to find a life partner. She was someone who was always open to dating men of other races and ethnicities, but also very much sought out Jewish men. However, after a few relationships didn't work out, she went on Match.com, where one profile caught her eye. I met Dalib online. It was Match.com, and at that time, there was no Tinder or Hinge, but 
Um, I was on match and he winked at me, he, I winked back and we started chatting. Uh, when we had our first date, um, I broke all my own rules. I used to think, well, if you meet someone online, don't commit to having dinner with them at a restaurant because then you're stuck having dinner with them and I don't want to give up all that time. But for some reason, I just thought, okay, let's, let's meet him in person and have dinner. And he spoke the whole time. I just peppered him with questions and he was just a joy to listen to. Typically at that time, I was great on first dates because I would do so much talking and people were all entertained by me, but I really wanted someone that I could take a different role and can entertain me and I can enjoy their company. I'm gonna take you back three years prior to that first date. That date was in 2010. Three years prior in 2007, my mom told me that she had a vision of who I was going to be with one day that the guy I was dating in grad school was not gonna be with me. Um, but she said that I was going to be with a guy named Reddy. I looked at her like she had five eyeballs. I thought she was so crazy. What are you talking about, mom? Who is Reddy? Is his hair red? What does that mean? And I wasn't familiar with that name at that time. So fast forward back to our first date and I asked Dalip what his full name is. And he told me, Dalip Reddy Singham. After I pissed on my pants, I like splash water on my face in the bathroom. I come back and I'm sitting across the table from my future husband. And this is our first date. And you somehow believed what your mom said. That's the crazy part. How did I believe her? <laughs> but you clearly did. And it turned out to be true. Yeah, yeah. Had you dated any other Indian guys before you met Dilip? Um, I had tried to maybe have a first date with two other Indian guys, um, but clearly from the very beginning, it wasn't a match at all. So how similar or different were both of you from each other back then? He self-proclaimed that he's not a typical Indian guy, and at that time, I had no definition in my mind of what a typical Indian guy would be. I don't, I, I look back and I, I still see myself as so young and naive thinking, what does that mean? Now I understand that means food habits, religious practices, um, how much or how little the family's involved in regular everyday decisions. But at that time, I didn't know what that meant. And just to be clear, Dilip grew up in India, right? Not over here. Correct. And how yeah. old was he when he moved to the U.S.? He was in his uh, mid-twenties. So he was very Indian in the sense of what he'd been exposed to prior to coming here. Completely. Completely. And had he dated any non-Indian girls before he met you? He might have met a few non-Indian girls. But what was it about his profile that attracted you to him on Match.com? His profile, um, I think his heading said trying it out. And he also put something in there that he was looking for, uh, he was looking to settle. So um, I asked him later on, what do you mean by that? He said, oh, just to find a girlfriend. I'm like, oh, so settle to you means that, whereas settle to me means you would like to get married and not have to search any longer. So I think what 
how we were similar at that time was so much more than how we were different. I look back and I think of our weekends together, exploring the Bay Area, going to Napa and joining wine clubs and, and enjoying, enjoying wine with our friends and hosting parties and having people over. And there were so many more times where we we're very in sync and similar than having differences. And when we did have differences where it was like, I do things differently for this holiday or I, I relate to my close friends in a different way or my family, it gave us a chance to, in a nice way, be able to add to our own um, experiences. So my husband now, I mean, he's so happy to put on a yarmulke for the Jewish holidays and he's excited to get our son uh, ready for um, Shabbat and Hanukkah. He's like really happy about that. And I'm the one that's looking up recipes of how can I best prepare for all the Indian functions that are coming up. It's nice how we do that now, but back then it was just very slow introductions and peeks into our lives. But what were the big cultural challenges of somebody like you who grew up in a, what sounds like a very traditional Jewish family and Dilip who grew up in India in what I'm assuming must have been a fairly conservative Indian family as well. So if you think of it from a cultural standpoint, what were your biggest challenges initially? Soon after marriage, when we got hitched at City Hall in San Francisco. And how long did you date for before you decided to get married? We dated for about a year and three months. And when we decided to get married, it was six weeks after that point of time. And we bought a house during that six week time period. Um, so soon after we bought our house, soon after we got married, um, we move into our new house. One week later, his mother arrives from India and she's about to stay for four months. And had you had met her before? I had not met her before, nor have I, had I spoken with her on the phone. That was some of the biggest shock that I've gone through in my life. Um, and I, I think back at that time and I was not familiar with having a parent live with me. I was not familiar with having Indian food that frequently. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day for months. <laughs> Delicious at first, but then I wanted a break. I'm a, an American girl. I need Taco Tuesday and Italian food and Chinese food and all the other variations that I'm accustomed to. And I wasn't used to having a different language in my household where all of a sudden I'm not comfortable in my home because I don't know what's being said. And I think some of the things that um, were different is it weren't, they weren't bad, but at the time they felt bad. They felt confusing. And I would explain it to Dalip that I don't understand what's happening. Like, are we turning into an Indian household? Because he didn't seem to be that attached to it when we met and when we got, when we were dating. But then all of a sudden, the whole household smelled like spices that I was unfamiliar with. And it was so different. 
Now, granted, his mother is one of the sweetest women, and she opened up her arms to me immediately and gave me a, a beautiful sari and welcoming jewelry and never had one negative thing to say about me. So in many ways, I had it good. I was very lucky as a daughter-in-law to have that experience. And I think it was more me that didn't know what to do with this. And Dilip was very patient with me and he would explain to me that these are all good things that we get to explore more culture together. But at that time, I felt like it was more culture than what I was willing to sign up for. It was definitely a very challenging summer. Communicating with my mother-in-law was very amusing and difficult and challenging all at the same time. She would have head gestures that I was unfamiliar with. When she would bop her head side to side, did that mean maybe? Did that mean yes? I had no idea. It's not that it's frustrating, it's just that I wasn't used to it. And I had to really train myself to not expect her to always conform to my communication level or my ways or to to always speak in English. So I had to be more patient than I ever had to be and more gentle, not so requiring her to come to my terms. And I think that summer I was too harsh. I expected too much. And as we've um, had many more visits from her, I've learned to be more gentle. Indian weddings, especially in India, can be very elaborate and overwhelming. And for Sharon to not only visit India for the first time, get married in a small town with over 500 people she had never met, experience a culture that can be overwhelming at its best, was quite an intense experience. We drove from Hyderabad down to Kurnul for what felt like endless ceremonies that did not have a unique, explainable meaning. When I would ask my in-laws, oh, why are we doing this ceremony? Why are you painting turmeric on my face? There was hardly any explanation. This is what we do. This is what we have done. I understand symbolism and I understand tradition because of my Jewish upbringing. There's a, um, a number of symbols that are used in all the ceremonies, but the um, abundance of um, unexplained ceremonies was over the top. So at the moment, it was actually more intense than I was like prepared and equipped for. Looking back, I look at my photos and I'm smiling happily in all the photos and my eyes are dry. But at the time, I felt like it was so intense, like the loud drumming of the music and all the sounds and the people. And it was so intense that I constantly was tearing up. I just felt so overwhelmed and... Although I played the role of Indian bride great, I knew how to put my hands together in front of my chest and say namaste. It was like days of that kind of activity. Um, I loved wearing the beautiful saris, um, but they're quite heavy and difficult to walk in and I didn't have sari walking practice prior. And the gold was okay, but then 
They braided my hair with this heavy piece of braid and more gold and more flowers, whereas my neck could not support all the weight, and so I like could not move my head. It was beautiful, but it felt so overwhelming the whole time. So you now have a four-year-old. What kinds of decisions do you and your husband Dilip have to make when you're raising a child in a culturally mixed home, where it's just not two different cultures, but it's also two old and rich cultures? Like, what are the kinds of decisions you guys have to make on a day-to-day basis, or also long-term? You know, be it teaching language, be it the kind of food he eats. What are the things you have to think about? So when I was pregnant. I really was attached to a certain name for my son, and I think if he were to have that name, it would have really set the tone and identification for him. Um, I wanted to name him after my brother who had passed away. His middle name was Isaac, and I really always thought I'm gonna name my son Isaac one day. Now, Dilip, he said, our son, he must be named an Indian name. And I asked him, "Well, can we negotiate on this?" He said, "This is a non-negotiable, and there's very few things where my husband claims that." So I thought, "Okay, so this is where I need to be okay with. We're gonna name our son an Indian name." I wanted to um, really allow my husband to have that because. If that's important, and we're not even living in India, and my husband really wants a piece of our son to have, with an Indian identification, let's do it. Let's. I supported that, and when we were thinking about the ceremonies that are important when、um, a baby's first born, I identified that there's a circumcision、um, that's typically done. In a Jewish way, they have a bris, and it's basically everyone comes over for locks and bagels while the Jewish moil performs the procedure, and everyone has to hear a crying baby. So I thought if if it was important for my mother that we do this for our son, then I would do it, even though I didn't feel like that was the right thing to do. Who wants to hear a crying baby? It's horrible. How do you eat your bagels that way? And It turned out that my mom didn't require that, so we were able to just have the procedure done in the hospital with a doctor, and I didn't have to witness that. And my son came back into the room, and he was great. He didn't even notice what happened. So that was something that my husband was willing to support. If that was something we, if if it was important to my side of the family, that he he's open minded and he's okay, and he also reminds me, and、um, he really strongly believes that. If there's certain things that make our parents happy, then we should do it if it has little impact on us. So, going back to getting married in India, he's not religious. That's not his way, but he knows how important it is to his mother, and so doing that was important to me. Some other things that we're looking at is、um, it's important in、um, Jewish custom、um, to have a bar or bat mitzvah, and. The way I feel about it was, I was probably pushed into it, and if I were old enough to choose for myself, I wouldn't choose that. 
And I don't think a child knows enough to really understand what the commitment means and to embrace the ritual side of it. Of course, today, it's in the modern day, it's a party and everyone enjoys a great party and all the gifts. But I didn't have that party when I had my own bat mitzvah. To me and my parents, it was all about the ritual, about becoming an adult in the eyes of the Jewish congregation. So I truly understand what it's about. And if my son chooses that for himself, not just the big party, but he chooses it, my husband and I will both support him. So if he wants to go to Hebrew school, he wants to understand the Torah, he wants to connect with other Jewish kids, it's his choice. But I will um, present it to him and give him the opportunity, but I won't require him to do it. Sharon and Dilip are committed to teaching Arav Telugu, which is Dilip's native language. And not just to expand his mind and ability to learn, but also as part of his identity and ability to converse with extended family on trips to India. And Sharon not only has this commitment for Arav, but also for herself. We wrapped up our chat with some final thoughts on how humbling it is to have toddlers as your classmates when you're trying to learn a new language in your late 30s. If I want to foster and create that language skill for my son, I better catch up. So that's where I looked into a class, and the class, there's no adult classes that are available. Like, I would happily take an adult class, and I think there might be um, some YouTube videos, but for me to learn, I need to be in a classroom and practicing and have someone correct my pronunciation. So the class that I've enrolled in, it's for kids. I learn rhymes, Opula Kupa. It gives me a chance to start from the basics, have an understanding of some of those common basic words, and hopefully then I will have enough that I can look at YouTube and then pick up more language skills and practice. And then of course I have Dilip that can like help me at home, but it's hard when I look around at my classroom and there's a four-year-old and a five-year-old sitting beside me and we're all trying to learn Telugu together. And when the teacher asks for us to trace letters and you have to trace it 50 times, I probably don't need to trace it 50 times. I'm probably good with two. And then it's sufficient. And we all had to write on the board, ah, ah, on the board. And okay, I can t- now teach my son that. Thank you for listening to this episode and I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back soon with another interview. And until then, if you have any feedback or comments on the kinds of choices you want to hear more about, let me know.